Amen. Again, this is our 60th uh, anniversary, and we're just celebrating and just very grateful to God. You know, I think one of the great tragedies in our churches today and even in our great land is the fact that we fail to just stop sometimes and be grateful and to remember and thank God for all the wonderful things that, that He has done for us. So today, we're just thrilled that you're here today to study God's Word with us. We are in a series of messages on the Old Testament Hebrew names of God. God has given us many names about His one person. The book of Deuteronomy says, The Lord our God is one, and we should worship Him and love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our souls, all of our being. And yet this great, awesome God that He is has given us various names to manifest His attributes, His character, who He is. And so one of those names is the name El Shaddai, El Shaddai, which literally means Almighty God. And the text that we're going to study today is Genesis chapter 17, and it is very apropos. It is such a pertinent, applicable name of God to celebrate 60 years of God's giving of blessings, God's uh, great favor and grace upon this church. Think about it, guys. Six decades that God has sustained, preserved, and blessed so that you and I would have the privilege of being able to come in to a place like this to worship God as we are doing today in America so incredibly freely and so enormously uh, blessed of God. Let's look at this word El Shaddai. It is a compound word. The word El, E-L, literally means power, might, majesty. It's used almost 250 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, the word Shaddai means the one who pours out his blessings upon another. And when you put the compound word together, you have the name El Shaddai, which means the one true almighty God Thank you, Shiloh. Awesome song. How great this God is. He created everything that we see, everything that we can't see. He is an amazing, awesome God, and He has revealed Himself as the one true God who gives blessings, the God who loves us, the God who nourishes us, the God who cares for us, El Shaddai. This word, El Shaddai, is used 48 times in the Old Testament. When you put the compound word together, El plus the Shad, the Shaddai, 48 times, interesting enough, 31 times is used in the book of Job. Now, if you have read the Old Testament, you know about the book of Job, the man who was greatly tried, had so many adversities and difficulties and vicissitudes of life, and God manifested himself, revealed himself to Job, listen to this now, 31 times as El Shaddai, the good God, the providential God, the sustaining God. It does not matter how difficult our situation is, no matter what we are going through. It may be painful, it may be hard, but still God is good and God is God. He is El Shaddai. And so what a privilege it is to be able to study this text with you today and to be able to walk you through the first time, the first time God reveals himself as El Shaddai is Genesis chapter 17. Now, before we read that text, let me share one New Testament text with you. When you come over to the New Testament, as you know, the New Testament was written in Greek between the years about A.D. 50 to A.D. 100. And that word, Almighty God, in the Greek is this word, Pantocrator. Pantocrator, which means the sovereign, ruling, all-powerful God. 
There's a passage of Scripture that it contains that name. The equivalent in the Greek is the Pentecratar. Here it is in 2 Corinthians. Read this text. Oh, you'll love this. 2 Corinthians text that talks about God being the almighty God who provides for us. It says, quote, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and my daughters, says Pantocrator, says the Almighty God. The equivalent in the Hebrew is the El Shaddai. I hope today that you can wrap your mind and your heart around this, around this thought that God is good, God is great, God is powerful. We see him in people's lives in history manifested multiple times as he touches people's lives. He works in their lives. And the thesis of this message today is that same God then is the same God today. And we see him working in every sunrise that comes over the horizon. Uh, every newborn child that is born that takes its first breath. This awesome God is still providing. He's still blessing. He's still encouraging. And he's still inviting his creation to come to him so that we might know him and worship him. Okay, now we're going to read Genesis chapter 17. The first time is always a special time. And so when you read this text with me, I hope it resonates in your heart of how God has revealed himself as the El Shaddai. It says, now when Abram was 99 years of age, the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him, I am, and when you read it in the Hebrew, literally, I am El. I am El Shaddai. I am the God who is almighty. I am the all-sufficient, providing, powerful God. And he says, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. Now, Abram responded in the way that we ought to respond whenever we come in contact with the deity, whenever we come in contact with the one true God. Abraham, the Bible says, he did not bow up, but he bowed down. He bowed down on his face before a holy God, and then God began to talk to him. People say, well, I don't ever hear God talk to me. Do you ever bow down to him? <laughs> Do you ever humble yourself? Do you ever put yourself in a position so that you can hear God? And so God now says these words to Abraham. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram. And that word Abram literally means exalted father. No, your name now is going to be called Abraham, which means the father of not only of a little, but father of a multitude of nations. And you shall be, as verse 4 says, a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham. I have blessed you, Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations, and I will exceedingly bless you and make you fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Verse 8 says, And I also give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Fast forward in 2010, you will see the descendants, the posterity, the lineage of Abraham. They call themselves the Jewish people, Israel. And they live in Canaan. That is their land. God gave them that land nearly 4,000 years ago. And so God is true to his word. Here it is, Abraham. I bless you, and I bless your seed, your posterity. Verse 9. And Abraham 
And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep. Between me and you and your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So I can't think of a more appropriate, powerful name of God that we could study on this beautiful October morning in 2010 that reflects back and it looks at the bountiful blessings of God. And that is just intrinsic. It is inherent in His name, of His character, of His attributes, of His person, that He is the Almighty And he is the one that dispenses and unloads blessings upon us. You say, well, you know, Danny, that's good. And I'm glad you have your little ancient book about all the grand, great stories of yesteryear and days gone by. But what about today? Where is God today? Is he still alive? Is he still working and changing people's lives? Well, ask Kay that question. Ask Kay. Kay says, when I was 29 years of age, I had lived a very rebellious life against God, against my family, against everything that I knew to be true and right. I rebelled against it. She said, I had a pretty rough go at it. She said, my first husband, right after we got married, the second night on our honeymoon, he turned to me and looked at me and began to criticize me and laugh at me and make fun of me, my own husband, on the second night of our honeymoon. She said, needless to say, I did not stay with that. After a few years of marriage to him, she said, we had a couple of kids, and I took them, and I left. And she said, you know, I began to live a life that deep down in my heart I knew it was not the life I was supposed to live. She said, I became an adulteress. She said, I would sleep with one man to the next man. She said, I knew, I knew deep down somewhere in some moral law of God that I should not be doing these things. She said, but I was so desperate. She said, I just wanted somebody to wrap their arms around me and really love me for who I was and not for what they wanted me to become. And she said, on one night, you know, I'd gone to church and I'd heard about God and God loves me and God loves you and all that stuff. She said, so one night in July of 1963, she said, I got down on my knees and I cried out to God, God, would you help me God, I believe in you. Would you please have mercy on me and reveal yourself to me? And this lady, Kay, by the way, her full name is Kay Arthur. And Kay Arthur today is alive and well and has written Bible studies whereby millions upon millions of women have studied these Bible studies through Kay Arthur. Listen to this quote. Listen to what she says. She said, when I was 29 years of age... My search ended on my knees beside my bed. There I met El Shaddai, end of quote. Listen, guys, he's alive. He is good. He's still in control. And if we will humble ourselves like Kay Arthur did, like Abraham of old, then we can so posture and position ourselves to be in a position where, God, we can hear from God, know God, and have God literally intervening, listen to this, guys, and interacting in our life in an awesome way. And that's what excites me. That's why I'm so glad today to be able to stand up and and read this text to you and now begin to walk you through the first time God reveals himself in this awesome name of El Shaddai. Now, before we really get into the text, I just got to give this word of disclaimer. This is going to be intense. Uh, There is a lot packed in these 11 or 12 verses that I just read to you. 
And so I want you to be patient. I want you to listen. I hope you can listen fast because I'm going to talk fast, okay? I want you to listen quickly. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will do what this mere mortal human being could never do, and that is speak life into you. Prepare your heart for some of you today, like K. Arthur, like Abraham of old, to really know this God, to meet him in his power and in his glory. So number one, I want you to look at it with me in a word of context. Number one, if you're taking notes, it's the word context. Whenever you read a passage of Scripture, be it the Bible, be it history, be it science, be it whatever literature it is, the basic form of hermeneutics or the basic form of interpretation is read your text within its greater context. Okay, you with me now? Read the text in the greater context. So let me give you the context of what is going on. In this text, Abraham is 99 years of age. In Genesis chapter 12, years and years ago, he was given a promise by God. He said, listen, Abraham, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave Iraq. You with me? He was living in Iraq, uh, the Tigris-Euphrates River. That's where he lived. And I want you to migrate, and I want you to move out of Iraq to, uh, to Haran, H-A-R-A-N. They didn't call it Iraq back then, okay? They called it, you ready for this? The Ur, Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans. You are... Chaldeans, all right? Move out of Ur, migrate on over. And by the way, I'm not going to really tell you where you're going. I just want you to trust me to see if you'll go. And so he did. He migrated and he made his way over to what is known today as Canaan land or modern day Israel or Israel, okay? But look at this text in Genesis chapter 12, awesome passage of scripture where God says, now listen, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation. Fast forward, guys, a few millennia. Today, Israel is one of the greatest nations on planet Earth. If you don't believe that, you ought to go over there. I went over there a few years, and they are an awesome, powerful nation that God has blessed militarily, God has blessed financially, and God said, Abram, I'm going to do this for you, but you got to trust me. Leave your land and come to my land, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. All right? I will bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse him who curses you. And in you, now watch this, the singular person of Abram, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And by the way, you are blessed today. I am blessed today. This nation of America is blessed today because of God's promise to Abram and through the loins and the posterity and the lineage and the genealogy of Abram came one, Jesus Christ. And so that promise is fulfilled in Abram to us through Christ. And this is the context of which this name El Shaddai was first given. Now go with me back to chapter 16. Abram is 86 years of age. And he is growing very, very impatient. Him and Sarah have been promised by God, I'm going to give you a son. Okay? And God took his time. And God waited. Have you ever noticed God does that? God doesn't act on your time. He acts on his time. And whenever you try to preempt and abort his time to make it hurry up to your time, you have a bad time. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but that's just the way it works. God does not need our help. 
He doesn't. He needs our faithfulness and he needs our obedience to trust him. So go with me. I mean, they made some bad mistakes, Abraham and Sarah. I mean, they, they messed up. And here we come to verse chapter 17. Another 13 years have elapsed. And Abraham's saying, God, hello. You promised me a son. How am I going to be the father of great nations? And how am I going to do all these wonderful things if you don't give us a son? And God, I am 99 old and crepid old. And so, Lord, you got to hurry up. Look at my wife, Lord. She's 89 years old. Come on, God, please help us and give us a son. And God says, just be patient. (laughs) And then he comes to Abram and says, Abram, I am almighty God. Basically, will you trust me? I don't know what your context is today. You may be like Abraham. And you may be crying out for God to hurry and to help and to be a comfort to you and strengthen you. And it's like the heavens are like brass. It's like God's ears are stopped up and you are confused and you are almost mentally deranged just going, oh God, if you're out there, would you please do something? And he will, but he'll only do it when he's ready to do it. So you got to trust him. Okay, That's the context of the name El Shaddai. Number two is the word confirmation. The word confirmation. God gives a confirming word to Abraham. He comes to him and he speaks to him in these words, I am almighty God, Abram. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, let me share something else with you about this Hebrew word Shaddai. It's very interesting. The word shad, S-H-A-D-D, literally in the Hebrew, it means breast, a woman's breast. You say, what? That's right. And when you put the name El Shaddai together, it has the connotation of nourishment, sustenance, caring for. Now, some of you moms, you young moms, you have breastfed your child. Can you imagine If your child, you give birth to this infant and God has entrusted its life unto you and it is starving and it's hungry, you don't have no formula, you don't have no infamy, that's what we used to call it, I don't know what they call it today, you don't have that stuff. And a mom with a full breast of milk, what are you going to do? You're going to say, eat, baby, I mean, that's what I'm here for, I'm your mom to help you. Now think about that. When you extrapolate the truth from that exponentially to the God of all provision. The God who created the universe, who created us, and he is a sustaining God, a nurturing God. Listen, El Shaddai, he is the God who nourishes his children and takes care of us. That's how he comes to Abram. And he confirms him. He says, Abram, listen, I have not forgotten you. I still got your email. I still check up you on Facebook. I follow your little tweets. I know who you are, Abram. I'm following you. I'm tracking with you. You're just right now, you're confused. Because you're worried, because you think I'm not listening to you. But Abraham, I am listening to you. I love you. I am El Shaddai, Abraham. And then in verse 5, it's like God just reiterates. He reconfirms what he had promised him in Genesis 12. In verse 5, it says, You shall no longer be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. Guys, listen to this. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could see yourself the way God sees you? Abram says, Here I am. And I can't have any children. She can't have any children. God, please help us. And and God says, I already have helped you. I already see it. You see, God is outside of space and time. He sees past, present, future as if it were just one unit. And he goes, Abraham, I made you a father of many nations. Now, watch this word of confirmation. Tied within this word of confirmation is a word of rebuke. 
a word of reprimand. God says, Abraham, I am El Shaddai, but you need to trust me. Did y'all catch that? You need to walk with me. You need to quit fighting against me, and you need to be blameless. You need to have integrity. You need to walk before me and trust in me. It's real interesting, Great Hills. In studying this passage of Scripture and in cross-referencing through the Bible, that name El Shaddai oftentimes has a connotation of reprimand or rebuke. Now think with me for just a minute. Why would God do that? Well, God does that because he loves us. And God, he disciplines and he rebukes just like an earthly mother or an earthly father will reprimand and rebuke their children when they depart and when they do things they should not be doing. Why? Because they're just mean old parents. They just like to beat me up. No, it's because probably because they love you. And they want to nurture you. They want to discipline you. Little Johnny, do not run out in the street into oncoming traffic. Well, that woman just hates her child. No, I think she really loves her child. Don't run out into the street. And he runs out into the street. She snatches him up and says, pop, pop, don't do that again. Okay? God does that with us. And he does that through this name, El Shaddai. Let me show you an example. In Ruth chapter 1, it's a great story of Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi comes back to her homeland Probably should have never departed from her homeland anyhow, but she left and went to Moab. And she comes back and she says, I went out full and the Lord has brought me home empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Because God, the Lord, has testified against me. Look, guys. And the El Shaddai, the Shaddai, has afflicted me. He's punished me. He's disciplined me. He's rebuked me because I've done things that I should not have done. I've gone places I should not have gone. I've said things I should not have said. Well, isn't God just mean? Can you believe that God would chastise me and discipline me? Listen, friend, it probably is because he loves you. He just wants what's best for you. And he comes back to you with this reiteration, with this confirmation, I'm loving you. I want you to trust in me. Some of you are looking at me like, well, did he ever get it? I mean, Abraham, this knucklehead, hard-headed, concrete, blockhead dude, did he ever get it? Did he ever learn to trust God and walk with God? Well, the answer to that question is an unequivocal yes. When you fast forward to the book of Romans, Romans encapsulates the life of Abraham with this powerful, descriptive phrase of his life. And let's pull it up on the screen. I want to read it to you. And not being weak in faith, talking about Abraham. The antecedent here for he, guys, is Abraham. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years of age. A little humor there. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. She's 89. And they're like, okay, God, you got my attention. I'm going to trust you now. And here it is. He did not waver. He pressed on in faith. He did get it about the promise of God. He did not waver through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith. And he ends up giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Can I read that again for some of you? What God promised to you, God is able to carry it through for you. And therefore, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. When we walk with God, and we please God, and we do what God asks us to do. He confirms us. He blesses us. He reiterates His promises to us. But when we get out of line, and when we do things we know we should not be doing, I mean, guys, that is just a fundamental, that's just a basic axiom of life. When you do certain things, you put yourself in a bad position. God, out of love for you, He disciplines you to bring you back 
unto himself. That's an awesome God that will do that. It'll care for you that much, care for me that much. So number one, we have a word of context. Number two, we have this word of confirmation. Implicit within the confirmation is the rebuke or is the reprimand. Now once you look next, number three is the word of command. Do you see it? There are three commands. Very, you say, well, who is God to give commands? I don't take, I don't take rules or regulations from nobody. Well, what have you been smoking? Because you, you need to wake up and realize that everybody takes commands. I mean, if we, if we base our life upon no absolutes and, and no right and wrong, then we will have utter, absolute, abject chaos. But I'm grateful to God for, for parameters. I'm grateful to God for boundaries. And so God says, here's my command. You may not like it at first, but if you'll trust me and do it, you're going to be all right. Uh, here's the command. Number one, he says, I want you to halak. I want you to Hebrew word halak means to walk. And you study it in the Hebrew and the tenses, like I got to do this week. I'm not going to bore you with all the nomenclature and all the terminology of Hebrew. You're like, well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. But can I just say this? It's pretty powerful. And it is an explicit command. When he says, walk with me, Abraham, look at me, and walk before me in a pristine and an honorable way and be, look at this, and be blameless. Tamayan is the Hebrew word. Oh, thank you. Oh, there's air. Yes, I feel that air. Ooh, thank you. I'm just having a moment. Excuse me, but that, I'm just cooling off over here. I may just preach the whole rest of the sermon right here. <laughs> Glad I'm not wearing a dress because it, it would fly on up. But boy, it feels, it feels good. That Hebrew word tamayan means, listen to this, it means complete. It means wholeness. It means to have integrity. Abraham, I've called you. Abraham. I have blessed you. And now, Abraham, as your God who created you and sustained you and brought you out of a foreign land into a land of blessing, then I'm asking you to have faith in me, walk before me with integrity, and serve me. Is that asking too much? Is that, is that God asking too much of us to do that for him, to walk with him by faith and trust in him? Well, let me give you the next command, and this one is, ooh, this is an interesting one. The next command throughout this pericope or this narrative passage of Scripture is God says, Abraham, it's time for you to get circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, go home and ask your parents. They'll be happy to tell you about it, but I'm not going to get into the details of it. But it was God's way for the Jews then to enter into a covenant with them where they cut their skin. And this is a way of separating from the rest of the world that they are recognized through this covenant of circumcision. And you see verses 9 through 11, some of y'all are looking at me going, I wonder if he's going to talk about that. Hey, listen, if it's in the Bible, I don't have a problem with it. If it's in the Bible, then I want to address it. I think that's part of our problem in America today is because too many preachers don't want to talk about the Bible. They want to talk about happy life, you know, happy times, everybody be happy. You know, I find myself more happy, Andy, when I'm in the Bible, when I'm studying God's Word. And I'm, I mean, you know, we got about four or 500 people here today, and we're going to talk about circumcision. Whoa, whoa, how about that? You know, how many preachers going to talk about circumcision? Well, it's important because it points to Abraham's obedience. And by the way, Abraham was 99 years of age. He got circumcised. Hello. That's not very pleasant. That's extremely painful. That's why they do it to infants because they, ah, they just scream out, but they don't remember it. You know, I'm so glad. <laughs> so anyhow, I'm talking way too much about circumcision. Let, let, me, uh, let, me, let me move on. Henry Morris in his book on Genesis says, quote, circumcision was commanded by God 
strictly as a sign of the covenant. And Abraham did it. Okay, fast forward. Do we do this today? No. This is a new covenant. We're in this new dispensation, this new age of grace, if you will. And the way our circumcision works is not a cutting of the foreskins of our male uh, sexual organs, okay? That's not it. It's our hearts being rendered and cut by God where he takes our sinfulness and he washes it with his precious blood of his son. And then the new covenant, the new circumcision is in that water. That's right. When you unpack this in the New Testament, study Colossians and study Romans. Today, we enter into covenant with God. We admit that we are sinful, and then we admit that we love him, and we accept his son, Jesus, as our Savior. And then when we do that, we enter into a covenant of God, and we go to the baptistry, and we're lowered into the water that signifies our obedience to the covenant. You say, is that right? It's right. And I'm telling you, it's awesome. Romans talks about it. Colossians, let's, let's look at the Colossians passage for just a minute. Colossians chapter 2. It talks about circumcision. And when you read it within its context, it's so powerful because it leads into Christ and it leads into believers' baptism. And you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, look, he's made alive. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven you of all of your sins. What an amazing thought. El Shaddai, the maker, the, the one who keeps covenant, the almighty God, the God who blesses us, the God like a mother's breast that nourishes her children. He is the providential, powerful God that nourishes us that gives us the very air that we breathe, that gives us the very crops that emanate out of, burst out of the ground, the very God that creates us and gives us our families and gives us all that we have, can we just say this God is amazing? And he is good to us and he, he loves us so very much. Well, these are the words of command. I like the way retired Major General William A. Cohen put it in his book, The Wisdom of the Generals. This is what he said about obedience to commands. It does not matter how brilliant or capable you are as an individual if you fail to do what is required of you, end of quote. That is really good. It doesn't matter how brilliant or capable or beautiful we are. The military doesn't really care about that because they need obedience. I mean, and God doesn't care about all that stuff either. He wants you to trust in him to believe. Hey, 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 Abraham. Will you trust in me? All right, let's look at the next part, this word of contrition. We've gone from the context to the confirmation of who Abraham is to the word of command, the threefold command, walk before me, be blameless, uh, circumcision. And then it leads into verse 3. Look at verse 3. Let's put it on the screen. Because really verse 3 describes and encapsulates the real heart of Abraham. The Bible says, Then Abraham raised his fist, cursed at God, and said, God, how dare you be so mean and cruel to me? And I'm sorry, that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Abraham humbles himself. He falls on his face, and God began to talk with him. Guys, this is, this is so amazing. This is why I call it contrition or, or reverence or, or brokenness. You have God who creates 
And God who enters into covenant with us, he loves us so very much. I mean, it would take a whole lot to suppress the scream of God saying, I created this amazing cosmos and this universe, and I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you, to take you to an eternal heaven. What is your response? What sayest thou? And you can do one of two things, and may I demonstrate both of them to you today. I'm going to demonstrate to you. Number one, you can bow up. You can what? I don't care who you are, God. I don't care what. You bow up to God. Watch this. Or you can bow down. You know what I'm saying? You can bow up or you can bow down. And I just, let's all do that together. Ready? I'm just kidding. I'll do it again. You can bow up or you can bow down before God and say, God, you are God. I am not. Forgive me for being so arrogant. Forgive me, God, for being so stubborn. Forgive me, God, for being so blind. I'll humble myself. Watch this. Prostrate myself before a holy God and say, God, I'm sorry. God, have your way in my life. You are El Shaddai. You are the creator, God. You're the awesome God. Who am I to, to argue with you? God, who am I to shake my fist at you? And Abraham is contrite. How contrite are you today? How humble are you? So I'm not humble. Meekness is for weakness, brother. I'm not in, no. When you humble yourself before God, like Abraham did, watch this. You're going to posture and position yourself to receive the blessings of God. Let me tell you a great oxymoron is a proud Christian. <laughs> An arrogant, pontificating, arms crossed, I'm God's gift to the world. I'm the best singer that has ever been put on planet Earth. I'm the best speaker. Oh, God, aren't you blessed to have somebody like me? Me that just can speak, speak, preach like an angel. And Lord, look at me, how wonderful I am, sir. I'm telling you, friend, that's not good. We ought to say, God, I am nothing without you. You're so awesome. Listen, about to explode up here. It's going to be ugly, but listen to this. If we humble ourselves before God, and then it's almost like we are so positioning ourselves so that God can enormously bless us like he did Abraham. Here we are, four or 5,000 years later, talking about Abraham, the father of a multitude, the father of the faithful. There's another verse I want you to look at. It's in the book of James, James chapter 2. I am a friend of God. Y'all ever heard that song? I am a friend of God. You ever heard that? He calls me friend. That's, there it is. Abraham. The scripture says he believed God. Okay, remember that? humbled himself, bowed down before God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Abraham was called the friend of God. Woo, I like that. Listen, guys, you're either God's friend or his enemy. <laughs> and you know what? You make that choice. If you humble yourself and believe upon God and put aside your arrogance and put aside your pride and say, God, you're God, I'm not, and then God says, well, thank you for waking up to what everybody in the universe knows. You're not God. And now I can bless you. Now I can remake you. And, man, what a story. So let's, let's unpack this one more time. First of all, we had the context, and the context was Abraham and Sarai, and they were impatient, and they got ahead of God, and they, they got out of God's will and God's best, and it, and it was creating chaos and disaster, okay? But God in his goodness was patient with them, and we move out of this, this context of difficulty in this context of pain and you see God confirming Abraham saying Abraham I still love you Abraham I still have a, an amazing plan for you and I give you these commands 
Obey my commands. Do what I'm asking you to do. Remember, didn't bow up, but he bowed down. He said, okay, God, I will. And he did. He did all that God asked him to do, and God richly blesses him. Well, God's the same, but the names change. Instead of Abraham and Sarah, it's Bob and Pam. This past Tuesday, I had great privilege of listening to a lady share her story about God's sustaining grace and faithfulness in her vicissitude, in her extremity, in her perplexity, in her dark night of her soul. 23 years ago, she's pregnant, and she's a missionary in the Philippines, and there's hardly any medical doctors in the jungle in which her and Bob live, and she's pregnant with her fourth baby. And she goes to the medical doctor, and it took a hard, long time to find a medical doctor in this bush of a place. And the doctor says, ma'am, you need to abort this baby. You need to kill this child because if you don't, it's going to kill you. Look, you're bleeding profusely. Your placenta is not going to sustain another six, seven months. Just go ahead and kill this child. And she said, I cannot do that. I will not do that. She went back to her home, went back to her husband, Bob, and they prayed, and they sought the face of God. And, and sure enough, six months later, seven months later, here it is. I mean, she's great with child. And this time she goes to Manila. She goes to another medical doctor, and the medical doctor delivers this baby and says to her, quote, Ma'am, you should have never made it. He should have never made it. Your placenta is in shreds. No wonder you bled profusely. It is a miracle. I love when doctors catch up with God. It is a miracle, a miracle that this child is born. And Bob and Pam Tebow have a six foot five, 250 pound Timmy. Tim Tebow, who won the Heisman Trophy and now plays for the Denver Broncos. I'm so glad that Pam Tebow had her son. That's how God is. He is so big. He's so awesome and grand. And if we will trust him, humble ourselves before him, then he reveals himself as El Shaddai, the giver of blessings. He reveals himself as the omnipotent, all-powerful God. But isn't it amazing? that we have the power called the freedom of our will. We have the switch on in our souls, and we can switch it on or we can keep it off. And the flip of the switch is all predicated on faith. Will you trust him? Will you trust God today to be your El Shaddai? With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to finish our message today with an appeal to you today. It really is no accident that God has so orchestrated events for you to be here today. And by the way, we are glad you're here. And I apologize for the air condition that is out. Believe you are not hotter than me. I am sweating profusely. You can see it come through my shirt. But aren't you amazed, though, how good God is that allow us to be here today, to be able to walk through this Old Testament story and to draw dynamic equivalent parallels to our story today. Whether it's Kay Arthur in 1963 or Pam Tebow in, in 19, what, 80s, just a few years ago, 23 years ago. How about today, where you are today? God speaks to us. He shouts to us from the heavens. Will you believe 
Will you trust me that I am El Shaddai? I am the all-powerful God who gives and grants to you blessings. So listen, as I'm praying for you right now, I'm just going to reach out to you. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Hey, preacher, I, I don't know this God. What you've been talking about is like another language to me. I am so disconnected from spiritual reality. I, I really have no idea about what you're talking. Hey, listen, guys. Ladies, gentlemen, I'm thrilled that you're here. Because God has you here so that you can hear, so that you can make a faith decision. And you can say yes or you can say no. But I implore you, I invite you to say yes to God today. Believe on his son. Hey, listen to this. Follow him in believer's baptism. Trust in him to be the God that really is El Shaddai. Others of you are here today and... Man, you do know God. You do love God. But like Abraham and like Sarah, you'd make mistakes. You commit some very egregious, bad mistakes, whether it's in your marriage or raising your children or the way you're doing life. And, and like Abraham, God comes to you and says, Hello, I, I still love you, man. I, I still got a plan for you. You can start over. Come on, Abraham. Be blameless. Come on, ma'am. Be blameless and walk with me now. I forgive you. I restore you. Trust in me. Let's start this thing over again. Oh, man. I wonder if God would say that to you today. Hey, others of you are here today, and, man, you're searching for God. You're trusting that maybe this is a place, a safe place you can come, and you can raise your life, your family. You can have children here, and that God would bless you, and you could be a blessing to us. And maybe you're a single adult, and you're just looking, man, you're just looking for a place to belong, a place to land, a, a church home. Hey, we invite you to come. And the way we do it here at Great Hills is we'll stand up in a moment, and there'll be some guys standing here at the front, and we'll just say, you come talk to us. And we would love to talk with you and share with you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ in the 21st century and what it means to... Live your life here with us in community at Great Hills Baptist Church. So, Father, again, thank you so very much. I'm very, very grateful, God, to, to you for allowing us these few undisturbed, quiet moments. Lord, away from Facebook. God, away from television. God, away from the loud clamor and shouts of this world. Thank you, Lord, that we can just get alone with you and hear your voice speaking to us today. So, God, I pray that you would draw us into intimacy with you. And, Lord, we would have faith and we would trust in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to sing a song. God bless you as you stand. Brother Terry, why don't you lead us?